This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. How much do you know about personal finance? Things like KiwiSaver or getting a home loan? If the answer is, hmm, I don't actually know that much, then check out this next program, Finance Made Easy. It's a podcast series based on workshops held at Plains FM that explore everything from debt consolidation to buying your first home. Elise Vine is a financial advisor from Building on Basics who loves to chat about personal finance. This first episode is all about KiwiSaver. And now, over to Elise. One of my passions is to actually provide financial literacy for different people and often I find that minority communities or people in uh, lower socio-economic groups often struggle to have somebody explain finance in a way that is basic or simple. One of the things that I'm, I'm passionate about is, and it comes around that whole name that I was talking about before, so hi, I'm Elise Vine, um, I'm a financial advisor. I am registered on the Financial Services Provider Register. I am a licensed financial advisor to Level 5 certification for residential lending and also for um, life and health. And I've started my investment strand, but I just haven't quite finished it. I've got a company called Building on Basics. The Building on Basics has come about from the name Bob, which is my nickname because I love doing renovations. And uh, finance is actually very, very simple or basic. And everybody has a level of knowledge. And so it's all about building on people's knowledge in a way that is supportive without making you feel stupid, without making you, without any judgments. Because sometimes we find ourselves in situations that are, beyond our control or where we didn't have the knowledge and we find ourselves owing more than we should have and trapped by the debt or whatever. And it's about going, that happened. What do we do to correct it without actually, and learn the lessons to prevent ourselves from from being stuck in that debt cycle or whatever. So that's the building on basics philosophy and um, what we're all here about. Bron is my left hand, right hand, um, my backstop to make sure that I do what I need to do. Bron has a background in general insurance. Um, she gets me here on time and makes sure I've finished the presentation in time. Uh, what was it, quarter past four today? So yeah, so we well and truly practiced at what we're doing. So um, the presentation might have been finished at, um, at quarter past four today, but um, it's just about structuring it in a way that is going to be meaningful for you. Uh, and where you're going to get the the best information out of it. I've been working with the uh, Colombian community down in uh, Invercargill, the Latino communities down there. So some of the forms that you'll see are in English and Espanol, uh, and this is... (laughs) Yeah, so it is a test for me every time I go down there um, to see how many more words that I can pick up. And when they're talking 10 to 1, uh, to see if I can pick up enough of what they might be talking about to actually be able to... 10 to 1 and 10 different conversations. It's pretty incredible. So Bron had her first visit down there um, two weeks ago, so it was um, pretty phenomenal. So um, what we'd like to do is I'm just going to start with a disclaimer. 
This is because, um, and I'm just going to read it out because it's quite small writing and the TV isn't as focused as or as clear as I had hoped. But the information given during this workshop is for information and education purposes only and is not specific advice. My name is Elise Vine and I'm a financial advisor. My company Building on Basics Limited and I are registered on the Financial Services Provider Register. To find out other important information about me and Building on Basics, go to our website www.buildingonbasics.co.nz and look at the important info. This explains services I provide and how I'm paid along with other important information about like our complaints process and our privacy policy. Okay, that's the most formal we're going to get today uh, and this is all about being an interactive session for us to actually understand what we're doing and how how we can support you on your financial journeys. KiwiSaver is one of the most um, common topics that people have questions about and everything really starts with KiwiSaver to a large degree because the sooner we do something about our KiwiSaver the sooner we have or the better our options are at the other end of the of our, of our life, but we'll go more into that in a minute. When Laura and Bron and I first met, the question was, um, finance, it's a gap in the programming. I was like, well, great. Um, what do you want to know? Because there's quite a lot of topics. So the conversation then went around, well, KiwiSaver's an obvious one. Uh, people like to know how to buy a house. That's great, so we can talk about the process for buying a house. We can also talk about getting a loan. Well, if we're going to talk about getting a loan, then there's two or three things that we talk about before we even start to get a loan. So debt consolidation, understanding our money and how we're using our money and our spending plans. Uh, more commonly known, um, or the common phrase is budgets. Budgets feel like diets. I feel that uh, we should be working from a yes, dirty subject. Wipe it under the mat, right? So my thing is uh, talk about spending plans and talk about uh, the way we want to consci consciously use our money. So and operating things from a positive perspective rather than a budget or a diet where we're often looking at cutting back. So treat this like you're getting your own personal advice session. But be aware that I cannot give you personal advice because I don't know your personal circumstances. So when you're asking me questions, I'm going to be answering them from a general and a generic perspective. So somebody in this situation may want to do this and consider these things. If you want to talk to us, we've got a survey at the end, which is also part of our feedback process because uh, we have got some funding towards doing this, which is providing for the food and the koha and a couple of other wee resources. Ministry of Social Development. Ministry of Social Development. So we'll thank them. Thank you. Um, thank them for their um, for the funding to do this and also for the support that they're giving us to do this. One of the other questions is, um, it's great to have such a diverse mix here. Uh, think about what you're learning here and if there's, if your leaders within your communities, if there are groups within your communities that you think could benefit from these sorts of workshops, then not only do we want them to be listening to the Plains FM modules that we're doing, but they've got this beautiful opportunity to actually engage with us on the different topics as we do these workshops. Okay, right, so a few fun facts about KiwiSaver. 
KiwiSaver launched in New Zealand back in July, 1st of July 2007. So we're only 14 years old. That's not very old. It started off to encourage people to get into KiwiSaver by the government giving out a kickstart grant of $1,000. This $1,000 helped people's funds to have a bit of a, a start and for any fund fees to not eat into the um, $1,000 and so that their money would start to grow right from the start. Okay. It encouraged lots of people to join KiwiSaver and even join their kids up into KiwiSaver so that the kids were getting the $1,000 for free. The kickstart was removed in 2015 because KiwiSaver had now begun to get a little bit of a momentum and the $1,000 was becoming quite expensive for the government. So if you hadn't joined before 2015, you missed out on that free $1,000. In 2013, the government gave uh, introduced a member tax credit. Oh, Fong, you're going to take a photo, I'll put my glasses on properly. <laughs> oh, there you go. Put them in my hand, right? There you go. <laughs> Okay, so in 2013, they had the member tax credit. And from the member tax credit, it was for every dollar you give, you get 50 cents free from the government. So that's a free $521.43 a year if you have contributed sufficiently. They changed the name from member tax credit to government contribution uh, so that people weren't relating it to tax. In 2011, contribution, the, the, the member contribution rate was uh, changed from 4%, which was the minimum default uh, contribution you could make, to uh, from 4% to 4% up from 2%, because those that were joining weren't putting enough into their KiwiSaver, so they were trying to encourage people to put more money into the KiwiSaver. In 2007, when KiwiSaver started, the issue with New Zealanders is that we're great spenders, not great savers. In 2013, the Employer contribution minimum went from 2% to 3%, so everybody got a 1% pay rise, even if you weren't seeing it in your pay packet. The employee contribution went from 2% uh, with a new option of 3% and the option with a 3% option, and there was the minimum, the default minimum was still 4%. 2018, people over 65 were now allowed to join KiwiSaver. So we're finding that KiwiSaver is a good, safe option for people to be running and managing their retirement money. So even though you're not eligible for the government contribution anymore, it's still a great place for you to, to have your money. The government added 6 and 10% as options for putting, uh, as default comp, um, options for people to choose for putting uh, money into their KiwiSaver from their uh, wages. Here's some IRD stats. In 2008, there were 716,000 KiwiSaver members. In 2017, there were 2.74 million members. On May the 21st, uh, May 2021, there were 3.1 3 million, up from up by 2% from May 2020. So KiwiSaver is now becoming a thing that people are looking to and understanding, beginning to understand the importance of. That's great. But as at June, 
590,000 members are in default schemes. That means that uh, up until the 1st of December, they are being taxed at the highest rate, regardless of what they earn. Their members are in the lowest risk and most conservative funds, and they're hardly growing. But they are growing. Um, and that, uh, that the people just don't know what's happening with their money. Five hundred and ninety thousand, so over half a million people. Okay, and we'll talk more. We'll talk. We'll talk more about this. is This is one of the reasons why I'm really keen to be talking to people about KiwiSaver. Okay, so why why is it important to be part of KiwiSaver? The answer to that is, if we look, uh, take a look at the current New Zealand pension. If you are single, you get paid fortnightly before tax. $1,013.28. That's if you qualify for the pension. Okay? If you're on the standard M tax rate, after tax that equates to $873.88. And I'd like you to keep that number in mind for, uh, for, in, for in a few minutes when we talk about some other things. If you're a couple, even if only one of you qualifies, so one of you's reached the age of 65 and you qualify for the, for the pension, even if you're still working, you can still receive $768.92 before tax or in the hand $672.22 and that's each. Okay. Does that sound like a lot of money? Okay, all right. Good, I'm glad, I'm glad we agree on that. So let's take a look at a bare minimum, what I would call survival budget. And I'm using the word budget here because we don't have a lot of coin to move around. If we said fortnightly we were spending $300 on food, $120 on vehicle and petrol costs, and that includes our insurance and registration and warrant of fitness. If we're spending 50 bucks on insurance for our contents and, and house and other things, if we're spending, which is not enough, by the way, if we're spending $40 on a, on a, on a registration, Maybe it's the 60 bucks is just on petrol. If we're spending $108 on rates because we own our own home, we're spending 69 on the house insurance, $60 on power, $20 on phone, $15 on internet, and other expenses of $76. It leaves us with other expenses of $76. Is, is that enough to actually live? Take a look at... $858, and remember back that we only had $873. Okay, let's go back and look. $873. A fortnight. We've made these expenses fortnightly as well. That looks like we're having the time of our life in retirement. Okay. These assumptions have been made on no... Um, no rent and that we're paying, paying a mortgage. So if we were to take the rates in the house insurance and the, um, is that enough to cover a mortgage? 120 bucks, 169, $180? I don't think so. There's not many places you can get rent for 180. Okay. And that's only looking like it's going to get worse. Not having this conversation to scare you. I'm not having this conversation to worry you. 
I'm just saying these are the facts and they are not in dispute. So we need to take control. Let's take uh, an example of an 18-year-old because we're all 18 in this room. Uh, let's say that we're self-employed. Okay, right, we're all young and, you know, willing. Let's say that we're, and this is using the uh, Generate KiwiSaver tool, which is available online, okay? And it lets you have a bit of a play. So you can put your own age in there. You can say whether you're employed or self-employed. And I've chosen to use self-employed to use it as if you're on a benefit and you're doing a voluntary contribution voluntary contribution. I've chosen aggressive to show here because it's the most common, it's the uh, going to give us the best result in terms of the return. But you need to understand your risk profile and the level that you're going to need to be at. And we're going to talk about that. Let's put in $20 a week and that's going to get us close to getting the full government contribution each year. Let's start off with nothing in our KiwiSaver at 18, putting in $20 a week until we retire at 65. In an aggressive fund, that will leave us with $193,000 in our KiwiSaver. That equates to approximately $160 a week per week in our hand. Now, the beautiful thing about KiwiSaver is when we were talking about the pension, we were talking about the fact that we had to pay tax. With KiwiSaver, our money is taxed on the way through. And so this is money directly in your hand. Okay, so tax paid. But then we pay tax on the interest. We're paying tax on the way through, and we're going to talk about that as part of our our fees. If we were, and there's different types of funds, the high risk and the low risk. So aggressive is obviously high risk, high return. If we were to move down into a growth fund, then we would have $120 a week because we would have only saved 150000 into our KiwiSaver. If we were in a balanced fund, which is a medium or moderate fund, then we would have $100 per week. If we were in a conservative, which is where our default members are stuck at the moment, we would only have 94000 and that is $80 a week. If we're in the defensive fund because we're really nervous and really low risk, then we would only be getting $60 per week and our fund would only be worth $76,000. This is why it's important that we take an interest in our KiwiSaver. So let's talk about how it works. One of the things that we need to know is that when we were talking about that survival budget, that many Kiwis are reliant on the pension are living in hardship right now. And that in 2013 there were 36,000 hardship grants for over 65s were issued. And that's uh, a stat um, from the Ministry of Social Development, from their stats in 2013. In 2018, that stat is at 56,000, up 50%. I don't have the stats for today, but we do know that that is on the, on the rise. You, can, you hear about it in the media often enough. Retirees are often asset rich and cash flow poor. They often own their own home but they don't have the funds to pay for the rates. They don't have funds to, be, to pay, be able to maintain their house and often don't have enough to actually even live just owning the house. Asset rich, cash flow poor. Of the 791,000 over 65s in New Zealand, 135,000 of those 
still have a mortgage in retirement. Okay, and we got that stat from the Centrix report of 11 November 2020. We know that that stat is also increasing. KiwiSaver can be used to supplement our retirement income and eventually, and maybe, the only source of retirement income. One of the reasons they kick-started it in 2007 and they started encouraging it is that there's not enough young people coming through to fund us in retirement because we aren't 18. Um, and there's not enough coming through to be able to do that. And what we know is that at the moment the pension is available to just about everybody. We know that at some point in the future, a government is going to have to make the hard call and start to do asset and means testing. So if we're reliant on supplying for ourselves, we better get our A into G and um, start making some headway into that savings. If that's not enough uh, incentive, then we, we really need to, to move on to it. So this is why understanding and why tools like the Generate KiwiSaver um, and there's many, many other tools out there and we're going to talk about some of those. Sorted.org has some great ones. Many of the other KiwiSaver providers have one as well. But this one I find is just the, the fastest and easiest to get some, some ballpark ideas as to what, what might happen. And it's using quite a complex set of uh, assumptions behind the scenes and you can find out what those assumptions are and how they link back to the other government department stats so that they're valid assumptions that they're making. So how does it work? So who can join KiwiSaver? If you're eight, um, any, any age, as long as you are a New Zealand citizen or a New Zealand permanent resident. Okay. So if you're on a study visa or a working visa, then you're not eligible to join. But as soon as you're a New Zealand, permanent New Zealand resident or citizen, um, then any age you can join up. If you're under 18, then you need your parent or guardian to sign you up into KiwiSaver. Here's a quick summary of how it works. We've got a little diagram here which we're going to talk about. So if we imagine a piggy bank in the middle uh, and we're earning, we're employed and we get paid wages. And from our wages as an employee, we can choose to put in 3, 4, 6, 8 or 10% of our wages into our KiwiSaver and the employer gathers that money and puts it into our KiwiSaver on a regular basis. Along with this, the employer puts in between three or 4% for their KiwiSaver, okay? Some employers choose to do more. When the employment market is tight and they are struggling to get staff, then they will do whatever they can to get people to come along and to work with them. So as an employee benefit, they may choose to put more or put bonus money into your KiwiSaver as part of an incentive for, for working with them. If you are not working, so you're on a benefit, you're studying or um, between jobs, you can choose to put money into your KiwiSaver in a way called a voluntary contribution. And we'll talk more about how to do that later on. We've talked about the government contribution of the five, free $521.43. So the process is that for every dollar that you contribute, and it's from you personally, not your employer, is um, you get 50 cents free from the government up to a maximum of $521.43. So if you put in $20.06, you will get the full 
$521.43. Your KiwiSaver may go up or down depending on the returns that the investments are or what the funds are invested in. And how fast they go up or down depends on the the risk profile that you've got and the type of investment that you're in. So you saw the difference between the aggressive of 193,000 down to 76,000 for the uh, defensive fund with all putting exactly the same money in. Okay. There are fees. Nothing is free. Except these workshops. Except these workshops. <laughs> <laughs> so come along. <laughs> so there are fees, and the um, fees are um, based on uh, the type of fund you're in and depending on how the provider works. And each fund provider has a different set of rules for how they calculate them. And some funds have a fee just for belonging and a monthly fee, and then depending on how your money is invested, the fees might, might be additional fees on top of that, and they may be higher or lower depending on the type of investment that they are. So the question is, is there a place that you can find the, um, where the fees are and how much they are and what the comparison is? Absolutely, and we're going to talk about that, but it's fundfinder.sorted.org.nz and we're going to show you an example of how that works. So KiwiSavers, uh, so the question is, is there a better place to have our KiwiSaver? Is a bank better than a non-bank KiwiSaver provider? Um, does it matter where my KiwiSaver is? The answer is yes, it matters where your KiwiSaver is, um, but the reasons why you choose where to put your KiwiSaver and, where, uh, and which provider to use comes down to uh, a number of factors. And the... Uh, Thing around the fees is also if I'm paying high fees and I'm getting really high returns do I care does it matter in terms of what I'm doing if the provider is giving me great returns and um, I'm a Muslim and my faith is important to me then and it's a non-halal investment then um, I'm potentially not going to be that impressed Okay, so if I'm, uh, if halal investments are really important to me, then Amana NZ is the one choice for them, because they purify the money, they make sure they're halal investments, they've got um, oversight uh, to make sure that they're all Sharia investments, they're doing everything bang on. Their fees are quite high. Their returns are also exceptional. However, I'm making a comment like that without giving you any basis. You need to go and do the uh, investment research yourself and things like fund uh, fundfinder.sorted.org.nz gives you that comparison. Oh, even between entities. Entities, fund Ooh. types and all sorts. We're going to show you a little bit of that in a few, in a few minutes. So these are great questions. <laughs> totally out of order, but great <laughs> questions. Okay. Okay, so... The fees are important, but they're not as important as, um, as understanding your investment and what's important to you. If you're aged between 18 and 65, there are some special benefits for you. The special benefit is that while you're aged between 18 and 25, you get the government contribution. Between 18 and, 25, 18 and 65, you get the, the free money from the government. And we've talked about this already. So the calculations happen for the money that you personally put in through your wages or voluntary contributions from the 1st of July to the 30th of June, 
1st of July to the 30th of June each year. Okay, and uh, the government will put that money in uh, typically within the first couple of weeks, and sometimes even on the 30th of June at the end of the financial year. Okay, that financial year is the government's financial year, which is why it seems to be out of kilter with everything else that we do. This happens for every year that you are aged between 18 and 65. So if you turn 18 part way through um, from let's say the 1st of September that you turn uh, 18, you're, you'll get a pro rata amount. So from the time of 1st of September through to 30th of June, you'll get a, a pro rata amount. If you turn 65 on the 30th of, uh, on the 1st of September, then you'll only get the KiwiSaver contribution apportioned up to the 1st of, until you turn 65. Putting money into your KiwiSaver. So if you put in the full $20.06 per week, either through your employee or your wages, then you will get the full government contribution. If you are studying or um, as long as you're valid to be enrolled and you're studying, then you can still choose to put $20.06 in and that will still qualify you to get the government contribution. If you're on a benefit, you can do the same. Here's the one gotcha that I would like you to think about. Refer to your spending plan. Have you got enough money to pay your essential costs like rent, mortgages, eating, any of your other essential costs before you can start to do this? Okay. But if you can, and if, even if you don't have the full $20, whatever you can put in will help you. I don't know many other investments where you've got a guaranteed 50% return on your investment. For every dollar you put in, 50 cents back, adding to it. So not only have you got your dollar working for you, you've got the government's 50 cents working for you as well. This is a great question. So was that clear enough? Cool. Okay, so great question. So is your KiwiSaver money guaranteed? I'm sorry it's not. Your KiwiSaver money is not guaranteed. Because your KiwiSaver money is invested in the market and the market can go up, the market can go down. And in the um, March 2020 when the pandemic hit and many of the KiwiSavers went down, then you've got that whole issue there that um, you need to, to, to look at. The government can't guarantee a market. No. No protection at all from a market movement. The protection that we have, this is great, Ruzzy, in terms of the questions you're asking here, and you're bang on the money. So the protection that we have is that anybody that is a KiwiSaver provider must adhere to the KiwiSaver Act of 2006 and any enhanced legislation that comes that relates to the KiwiSaver Act. What it also must do is it must uh, report regular, regularly to the Financial Markets Authority, so the FMA. Okay? And that's another great resource for finding out information about KiwiSaver. So fma.gov.nz or govt.nz. And the FMA, or Financial Markets Authority, is like the policeman of the um, banking KiwiSaver providers, financial advisors, it keeps us all in check to make sure we're doing the right thing. So within the, within the fund rules, and uh, depending on whether it's an aggressive, a, 
a growth, a balanced or a conservative within the trust deeds, which we're going to talk about shortly, and the way each of the funds manage, that's where they've got the, the safety nets within those profiles for what you're doing. I think you'll find that if you're an aggressive fund that the, there's very little safety net. 92, 98%. No, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying in terms of uh, do they have to have a certain amount of capital so if the fund falls that they can cover the stocks that they've got. Yeah. Uh, So I don't know that specific answer in terms of what they're going, but they're all managed. The way the funds are invested and the way they hold the money and the way they're doing their investing is all managed and controlled via their trust documents, which which they work to. So I was going to talk about this later on, but I can talk about it right now, is that there is a, when you choose your provider, the provider has the trust deed that that they work to. That trust deed then has a, um, a supervisor that watches what they're doing and to make sure that the fund managers or the custodians of that particular fund are investing as per the rules. Okay, The supervisor is then watching the fund manager. The Financial Markets Authority is then watching the supervisors and the fund managers. So in New Zealand you think, oh yeah, yeah, so what? Well, there has been recently a time, and if we go to the Financial Markets Authority, fma.gov.nz, you'll see that they had a news bulletin where some fund managers had been removed and people had been placed in to manage the funds because they were not performing as per the standard. So they are watching, they are making sure. So in terms of, we've got market risk, but so there's no guarantees. Um, and so if you've got a low risk tolerance, then potentially you need to be in those balanced or lower funds because um, you can't sleep at night. So great questions. Okay, so where do we get to? So putting money into your KiwiSaver. So... As an employer, they gather your money and their money as their employer contribution, and they send that money to the IRD. Okay, so it doesn't actually come to you, it goes directly held by the employer, directly to the IRD. The IRD then receives that money, and then using your IRD number, it connects to say who your provider is, and it will then send that money onto the provider. And then once the provider receives the money, it then uh, sees what you want to ha- what funds you want to invest it in within their schemes and then it will invest the money for you. So it used to take up to 90 days for it to go from your from the time you earned the money to actually through the IRD back through and be actually invested. Okay? The IRD has been speeding up that process by doing weekly um, payroll reporting so that they can spit the money back through faster. So the faster you can get your money invested, obviously the better. If you uh, want to do voluntary contributions, you can um, put the money directly to the IRD, which is useful if you've forgotten to do your top up to get your full voluntary contra- uh, to get your full government contribution. You can on the night of the 29th of June or morning of the 30th of June, d- directly input the money into the IRD, um, and that way it'll be registered towards your your contribution, or you can give the money directly to your KiwiSaver provider and that way they'll invest the money even faster for you. One of the things that should be noted is that you can belong to, with KiwiSaver providers that have multiple funds, you can be can split your funds into different 
percentages. So if you want to be um, mostly balanced or, or conservative, but you want to have a little bit of a flutter with some of your money and get a little bit of a kickstart and give you a, a fund a bit of a boost, you can choose to put a little bit, a small percentage into a growth fund if you wish. So depending on, this is where it gets down to uh, what is your situation, when do you need the money, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, but that's coming down, that sort of question comes down to specific investment advice. So I can talk about some general trends of people of this sort of age and this sort of uh, risk profile might want to be, might, might want to consider this sort of thing. But we'd need to sit down and look at that. You'd need to sit down and look at that uh, specific type of advice with an investment advisor. Or with your KiwiSaver um, provider themselves, they can talk you through the best way to, um, to split your investments or to, to, to do it within their funds. If you are, have joined through a default scheme, or you've gone into your bank and um, they've said, oh, join our KiwiSaver, which they're great at doing, uh, that, um, that you're likely to be just in one fund, balanced growth. Okay. Uh, if you're working with a financial advisor, you're potentially going to be in one fund because that actually meets your needs, or you might have split your funds to give you a bit more of an understanding. And your financial advisors will be working with you to make sure that you're regularly checking to see what sort of fund you're in and whether that's still relevant to you. If you're about to buy your first home, we need to be able to withdraw our money. So we want to make sure that the money is there. So we're going to put you in a conservative, low-risk or defensive fund to make sure the money is there when you need it. Okay, we're going to talk about withdrawing money in a, in a few minutes. So, um, if you don't know who your KiwiSaver provider is, then you can log into your um, MyIR and select KiwiSaver as the option, and who your money is invested with or the KiwiSaver provider is noted in there. When you start a job, complete a, make sure you complete a KS2 form and select the percentage that you want to contribute to your KiwiSaver. That's where you can select the three, four, six, or eight, or 10%. Once you put your money in, it's particularly hard to get your money out. And the government does this for the reason that they want you to have the money there when you retire. But there are times in our life where we might need the money out earlier. We might have a, a medical event that means that we're not working and we need access to the funds to um, give us some treatment, um, but one of the things that you're not allowed to withdraw your um, KiwiSaver for is to pay debt. So don't go and buy a flash car, get a personal loan, get behind in your payments and think, oh, I'll just use my KiwiSaver to pay it off, because that's not going to happen. Okay, With the um, COVID uh, and, and pe many people losing their jobs and so on, uh, there's been a high number of hardship grants and there's been a number of people that have really struggled to get access to their money um, because they just don't quite meet the criteria. So what they're saying is that, um, yep, it's difficult right now, but you need that money for later and we're trying to protect you as much as possible by doing that. just feels a bit wrong though when it's your money and you can't access it. Uh, what happens if someone has accumulated money in KiwiSaver but they die? Perfect timing for that question. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so how do you get, it's like you're reading my mind, how do you know, how do you get your money out of KiwiSaver? So when can we get our money out of KiwiSaver? 
So at 65, we can start to withdraw, and we can withdraw it in a lump sum or in monthly instalments. Okay. The longer we leave our money in KiwiSaver, the longer our capital keeps working for us. However, when we hit 65, we might need a new car, we might need to do a couple of modifications to the house, we might need the money for some things that we've been saving for but just didn't quite have enough. We can use some of our money towards that. Then if we can use it to help supplement our pension, then that's great, while the pension is still here. Okay. We can use it to purchase our first home if we have not used KiwiSaver before. Okay. If we get significant hardship, we can access our KiwiSaver. Can you withdraw your money to buy a home if, if it's a second home? Or? Under certain circumstances, you can. So if you've bought, um, you can't own a home at the time. Right. Okay. So if you own land or a, um, a house already, you yeah. cannot access KiwiSaver. So you cannot use it to um, purchase an investment property. Right. If you permanently immigrate to Australia, then you can withdraw the money, but it has to go to a similar scheme in Australia. So on your death, which was the original question, the money goes to your estate. If you are seriously ill and have less than 12 months to live, you can also access the money. However, you cannot write the doctor's certificate for that. You need proper certification to say that it's, it's a significant illness. I didn't understand what happens with the money. Goes to your estate, so goes to your family. It? So that's a technical term for um, the money goes to whoever you are leaving your money to, oh. because it's uh, can't leave it to yourself because yeah. you're not here and you can't use it. Um, so it goes to the next best people. Mm -hmm. So the easiest way to make it easy for your family to access that money is for you to have a will mm -hmm. to say where your assets go on your death. Okay, and KiwiSaver is definitely an asset. So we can take all of the money out. If we, go, if we have been in the UK or in um, Australia and we have come back to New Zealand, then we can transfer our UK or Australian pensions over to New Zealand and we can't use that money for buying a house. Mm -hmm. However, we can use it, access it when we retire. Okay, sometimes we can even retire, uh, access it earlier um, some of the Australian schemes and UK schemes, um, you can access it from as young as 55 and sometimes even 60. If you uh, leave your money in and you don't buy a house and or you do buy a house but you haven't used your KiwiSaver money, what that means is you've got more money in your KiwiSaver pot towards your retirement. So instead of having $120 a week, you might have 200 250 or more depending on how long you've belonged to the scheme, how much you've been putting in, and the type of fund that you that you belong to. But over 65, you won't get the government contribution. So, so that means that the money is not being added into your KiwiSaver, so it's requiring you to either just use the money that you've got, or you can keep putting money in. So many people these days are working beyond 65. So at 65, they start to receive the pension. So they could be, uh, that pension might be actually uh, a grateful income to the household because now they can actually afford to live. Uh, for some people it's um, extra bonus money and while they're still working they can use that money and put it in to have a bigger life 
or to put more money into their KiwiSaver to allow them to do more investing. So uh, at 65, you do not have to withdraw the money. At 65, you do not need to stop contributing. You can keep contributing. At 65, you can stop contributing if that's what you need to do. At 65, you just have access, easy access to the funds. Self-employed people work as if they are um, doing constantly doing voluntary contributions. Okay, so if you are self-employed, and this is great for the Uber drivers and Uber Eats drivers and any of those people that are doing any of those self-employed things um, out there. And so they take a look at their spending plan and see how much money they've got coming in to cover their essential costs and then look to see what they can afford to put in their KiwiSaver that they're not going to be able to access. Okay, uh, look at what they can be putting in their savings for any of those emergency type situations and making sure that they're doing. But the minimum we want self-employed people to be doing is that $20.06 a week. And if you can do the payments more frequently, then your funds start working for you and receiving the returns depending on the market fund that you're in. Okay, so these are great questions. So first home buyers. One of the cool benefits of KiwiSaver is that as first home buyers, you can access all but $1,000 of your KiwiSaver funds to help you buy your first home. If you have lost your first home as part of a divorce or some business failure or something like that, then there is an opportunity that you may also be able to access your KiwiSaver again. Okay? You have to have been contributing to your KiwiSaver for three years. It has to be a minimum of um, 3% of your income going in for you to qualify for the first home grant after three years. You must leave $1,000 in your KiwiSaver and any funds that have been transferred in from overseas, either UK or foreign pension schemes, including Australia, you need to leave that money in there as well. You cannot access that money. Okay. It can only be used for the deposit for the house. So you can't say, I didn't use it for the deposit of the house, I now want to replace my roof. They don't allow that. However, that might trigger a hardship situation where if you don't replace the roof, you're going to lose your assets and that might, they might allow you to do it that way. You're going to have to work really hard with your financial advisor to help you get that through though. First home buyers also get the other opportunity of other free money of between three and five thousand if you buy an existing property, and there's certain criteria that apply there, and we'll talk about them. If you buy a new build, then you can get between five thousand and ten thousand for a new build. If you've belonged for three years, then you're getting the three or the five thousand. If you've belonged for five years, then you hit the five thousand and ten thousand. There are some property value uh, limitations. So the first home grant income criteria and these have gone up recently. So single buyer if you're earning a gross of 95,000 or less then you qualify for the first home grant. If there's two or more buyers so note the way I say two or more it does not just mean a couple it could be two friends. It could be a mother and son, it could be a mother and daughter, it could be father and son, or any combination. It could be three friends that are grouping together to use their KiwiSaver to help buy a house. As long as the two or more have an income of less than $150,000, 
then each party is, as long as each party is eligible, they can get their three to five or five to ten thousand dollars first time grant. So if there's two of you and you've been in there for five years uh, and KiwiSaver contributing your minimum of three percent, then that's ten thousand dollars towards a an existing house or twenty thousand dollars towards a new build. However, the challenge now becomes if we're in the Christchurch region then we are limited in terms of the value of the property that we are buying to be 550 for a new build, 550,000. Got no idea we can find land and house for 550,000, so we're getting pretty close to, to cutting that market. For an existing house of up to 500,000, uh, we uh, still do have those opportunities in, in Christchurch, but they are becoming few and far between. Uh, Auckland and Wellington and some of those other areas, it's been a joke about uh, qualifying for the first home grant. It's just, just not possible. The question is, what is the likelihood of them updating the figures? This is the updated figures as, as announced in March 2021. The government is looking at other ways to help people into first home buyer situations um, and there's a few initiatives that are starting to, to formulate. Um, they've got put aside a billion dollars towards helping those uh, first home buyers and initiatives to, initiatives to do that. However, um, I think we're some time away before we see anything happening in that market. So here's the, here's the key phrase in um, first home grant, home. So if you are wanting to use your KiwiSaver or wanting to access the first home grant, uh, if you own land, you no, no longer qualify. So if you buy a section and you've been paying the section off while you save towards buying the um, saving up for doing the build and building some equity, um, unfortunately that disqualifies you from getting access to the first home grant because you own land. So uh, the first home grant and KiwiSaver access is about putting a roof over your head. Unfortunately, land allows us to build, but it doesn't provide us with accommodation. So it has to be a house and land package. It doesn't matter what sort of, it doesn't matter what sort of house. Bungalow, villa, um, townhouse is all great. Container house is, if it's under 10 square metres, um, is fine as long as that container house is not on wheels. So no bank. The bank will lend on the land. This is a great topic for when we're going to talk about the uh, finance and what the banks will lend on, is that the banks will lend for the land, but because the, um, you've got a tiny home on a trailer and it can move places, they won't lend for the, for the tiny home. Okay. These are great questions. Okay, so, so <laughs> what is KiwiSaver? <laughs> so KiwiSaver is a managed investment scheme and its rules are determined under the KiwiSaver Act of 2006. A managed investment scheme is a PIE fund, a portfolio investment entity, typically a trust. It's a collection of investments that are arranged through a single entity or trust. The PIE fund is managed by a KiwiSaver provider. There are 30 KiwiSaver providers in New Zealand registered at the moment. There are currently nine 
default KiwiSaver providers and this is about to be reduced to six from the 1st of December. Several of the current default providers have been smacked and had the privilege taken away from them and some have uh, reserved the right to withdraw from providing that facility. If you haven't chosen a KiwiSaver provi um, provider, the IRD will automatically uh, randomly select you one and that's where we've ended up with those 590,000 members that are in default schemes because they haven't chosen and the IRD has just selected the one and they have joined KiwiSaver as part of um, starting employment and their employer has enrolled them automatically. Okay. Each provider is certified and overseen by the Financial Markets Authority and must obey the KiwiSaver Act rules of 2006. Each provider may have different funds which have different risk profiles, so we've started to talk about that. Each provider offers a return for your contribution, but there are other ways that they distinguish themselves. So if we go to take a look at fundfinder.sorted.org, which is what um, we were talking about earlier. So and with this tool, you can go in and take a look and uh, select the type of fund that we want to look at. So it might be the balanced fund, it might be aggressive or conservative or growth. It's got lots of different options there for us. And then we can select to see what do we want to know about that fund. Do we want to know about who's got the lowest fees? And again, I caution people to choose a fund just based on their lowest fees. Is it about the services that they provide? If you need your money out, you want to make sure that the, the provider has great service so that you can get access to your money. If you have questions, you want to make sure that you can get access to the questions. If the provider is working with um, advisors uh, like myself, then you want to make sure that those advisors get great support so that they can support you with your questions. If you want to know what your return is or what the returns are by that provider, then it lets you know. However, these stats are as they are reported at the moment. Past performance does not signify future results. So just because your fund provider um, got 8.09% uh, 8, 8 in its balanced fund last year doesn't mean to say that it's going to get that same result next year. Pre-COVID and pre the interest rates dropping, there were um, returns in the balanced uh, that were in the 14-15% and it was just an average return. Now we're looking at 8%. So you can select um, and see how the funds are performing against each other. And if you click on each fund, it, um, it will give you even more information about the way they're investing, what their returns have been over the last three, five years, what their fees are, how they compare to the balance, to, to the other, other funds. What FundFinder doesn't take into account is how they are investing whether they're investing in ethical investments. Again, if you're uh, considering um, making sure that you've got halal investments, it certainly doesn't signify that. A fund is made up of different investment categories. It can be invested in cash, cash or cash equivalents, so it could be like foreign currencies or fixed interest in term deposits and bonds. It could be in equities, which is your shares, and they could be national or New Zealand shares, 
equities or in international. Typically when they're international, they're being invested in um, the US. The US market is bigger and provides typically better returns, but there are some that are doing in the Australasian markets as well. Each funds has a risk profile and that will determine the percentage of each type of investment that the trust or the PI fund will enter into. And this will guide the managers when they invest their funds. The fund manager or custodian will then have those investments monitored by the supervisor and overall by the FMA. If we think back to um, the different funds that we were seeing before and the 18-year-old that we were talking about putting in $20 a week, the different funds that they were in is determined by the results that they're going to, to be to get. That example with the Generate KiwiSaver um, to letting you know how much you might have does not account for you withdrawing money for either hardship or for your first home. So where you might be putting in $20 a week, be in the aggressive funds and then drop down to, the def uh, to a, a conservative fund, withdraw your money for your first home and then you're back at starting at $1,000 and kicking off again. There are some calculators out there and uh, the uh, sorted.org retirement calculator does give you some of those options to see a little bit clearer. But if you're splitting your funds between a balanced and a growth, it doesn't. not many of them give you that level of split just yet. More tools will, will be coming. Okay, so when we're looking at... So it's a great question. Uh, if we're looking at... If ethical investing is important to us, uh, how do we determine where, whether it is an ethical investment and what they're investing in? So the fund finder will give you um, the starting point for that. On the same page to the left of the, um, on the full fund finder page, it has in there a section for ethical investments. But ethical investments also has a definition. So if we're talking about halal investments, we aren't allowed to invest in pork, anything relating to pork, and we're not allowed to uh, invest in anything that's receiving interest. The ethical, the, um, but for other people um, investing and in earning interest and investing in pork, well, pig farms, um, is, no, is no issue. So it depends on what, eth what your definition of ethical is. And there are the um, ethical investing standards and some uh, providers self-certify themselves as investing ethically. Okay? And then you've got some uh, providers like Booster who go and get certified by ethical investment authorities to make sure that their investments are ethical. You've got funds like New Zealand Funds who um, don't get audited but they uh, receive bulletins from an ethical organi an organisation that monitors eth ethical investments and they work within the list of those investments. You've got investments like Amana NZ who actually get theirs audited and if, if they do find themselves investing in something that they shouldn't be investing, they purify all the funds out there to make sure that they're still standard. So on the website, it's got a link for ethical. Uh, for each investment provider and each fund, there is a product disclosure document. And in the product disclosure document, 
it will give you a breakdown of how the funds are invested. And if you go to the website for the fund provider and take a look at their product disclosure documents, um, often they will have links and show you what the top 100 or top 20 or, or 30 investments are that they have invested. If you contact the fund provider, they will um, give, it, give you even more information. Some funds actually on their um, apps tell you exactly what they're invested in and you can see that online within your, within your app for your KiwiSaver provider. So a, um, a, big, a big KiwiSaver provider is not necessarily a good KiwiSaver provider. Um, the way that ANZ and they had their KiwiSaver uh, default provider funding scheme um, withdrawn, um, or they didn't reapply for it. Uh, every time you went into the bank, they say, and what about your KiwiSaver? And before you know it, they've switched your KiwiSaver provider over to ANZ without you necessarily understanding that that's what you've just agreed to. Um, so, and that behavior has to, has to change. So just because it's a bank, uh, banks are good at banking. They're, uh, they do have specialist investment teams. Um, but the people that you're often dealing with are at the branch level and they're not the investment advisors in terms of understanding. Um, again, it's like going to a bank for a loan. They can tell you about their products, but they're not looking across the, the, the stream of possible providers. Um, there's, choosing your KiwiSaver provider is a very big decision. You don't want to be switching providers all the time. Okay, uh, you don't want to be switching in between funds all the time because every time you switch between a fund provider or switch between funds, you are cashing up your KiwiSaver at the unit value of the day. Right. And then when you're buying the new ones, you're buying them on the day. So in March 2020, I was busy sending out messages to all my team and all my clients. And I was on the phone to all my clients that were nervous investors and saying, do not do anything, you are safe for now. Because the only way that people made money, lost money during KiwiSaver, during that, that downturn, was they switched providers, or they took their money out of a growth fund and put it into a conservative fund. The growth funds recovered within, uh, typically within two weeks. Um, some of them in less than, less than two weeks, and some of them didn't even go negative. Um, but depends on which fund you're in and which, which uh, profile you were in at the time. And uh, they um, bought in the lower conservative. The lower conservative ones recovered to their small amount, but they didn't recover to the same, debt, uh, same heights that the growth ones did. So they actually lost money at that point. So it's only when you cash up and switch from a fund provider or switch within a fund level that you actually lose the money. When you switch between providers, you uh, the money has to go from the fund provider that you were in through the IRD to the new fund provider and then be invested. So that can take days. So that's days that your money is out of the market. So it's choosing your provider is really important. Is being socially responsible important? Is just ethically responsible being important? Is halal important? Is the way that the provider works within the community and the other things that they're doing important? Simplicity have a uh, an option where you can um, use their your KiwiSaver and other KiwiSaver funds towards home loans at cheap rates. 
but they're still making good money for their for their investors. Is um, the money that you're using for your um, for generate uses it to help build social housing? Okay, so choosing where you invest your money is really important, and who your provider is. Um, Booster do uh, investments with and uh, support uh, Victoria University with a whole bunch of investments through the Tahi Fund and socially responsible. So they don't do investments in in gambling and alcohol because that's part of their ethos. Um, so it's about understanding which provider you're interested in. There's a lot to research to actually understand. Um, and I think the thing is that um, for most of us, we've been doing it without actually thinking through. Okay, so understanding risk. So there's different fund types. They move at different levels. You can see um, if we take a look at the graphs that uh, conservatives have uh, slightly smaller fluctuations and over time they move like a gradual snarl up the page. If we're in a, a, in a balanced fund which has got a mix of income and growth assets, they move moderately up and down but not great fluctuations um, and then we've got um, those that are in growth they typically have bigger highs and lows but they can move sharply down and sharply up and recover just as sharply and so and there were some great graphs that were around which showed the COVID, um, COVID situation where they all dropped quite significantly but the level of the drop was dependent on the, the risk profile of that fund on the day. Okay. The risk profile that you also need to think about is when do you need the money? So if you need the money in under five years, then you should be highly uh, uh, invested in conservative funds and um, you're likely to be a main mix is going to be income type assets. So cash, fixed, uh, fixed interest and in, in, in that combination. Low risk, low return, but you know your money's going to be there when you need it. If you've got between five and ten years, uh, then you might be in the balanced fund. And you might have an even mix of income and growth assets. Medium risk, medium return. Growth funds, typically you don't need the money for ten years. So I'm 50-something, I uh, don't need my money for 15 plus years, um, probably more. I'm likely to still be in the growth asset would be the recommendation for somebody of my age and stage of life and so therefore I'm likely to have high risk, high return. However, if I am a nervous investor and I'm worried about it, I might choose to put some of my funds into balanced. Okay, But remember that that decision for me to have that sleep at night is going to determine the amount of money I have in my retirement. Okay. So a default scheme is just a uh, super conservative defensive scheme at the moment. And um, on the 1st of December, the um, government changes uh, that they are moving from those that are in a default scheme, moving them into the balanced scheme. But it still might be that they're on a 28% um, tax rate, PIR rate, prescribed investor rate, which is your pie fund um, which is the way that they determine your tax, the tax you pay on your KiwiSaver, which is why it's tax paid at the end of the, the time that you get the money out. So they might be paying more tax than they, than they need to, um, but they also may not be getting the best return that they need to get because they might be low income uh, and they're never going to buy a house because they just don't have enough income to be able to service any debt. Um, so they should be on a high growth the whole way through so that every dollar that they've got is working for them on the way through. 
It should be it should be checking at um, any of the key life changing events. Like uh, if you're thinking of. Um, if you haven't bought your first home, then you should be checking on an annual basis and working with your financial advisor to check to see that you're on track to to being ready to buy a house so that you, you, you're set up to do that. Uh, and check that you're checking your um, tax rate on an annual basis. Um, not necessarily checking how much is in your fund, but unless you're looking to use it for a deposit. Um, once you're beyond um, that, then you want to be checking to see if we've got some surplus money that we can put into our KiwiSaver to help us towards a retirement. Is KiwiSaver the best place for us to be putting our surplus cash, or are we going to need money at 60 for um, doing something special? Or what are we what are we doing? So where are we best to be putting our money? It's a bigger KiwiSaver is one one aspect of a bigger picture that we need to be talking about. These are great questions. So how often should you review? I say annually take a look at it um, and then you know as you're nearing retirement you want to be taking a think about how's my health, am I going to be working past 65 and am I, am I going to be wanting to keep contributing, uh, am I still looking to live to 100 or am I been treating myself badly and I'm only going to live till 80 now because I've been going hard out and I'm um, skydiving all the time, I don't know, or got dangerous pursuits. Um, uh, have I got a, a family history that I'm likely to die younger or have I developed some sort of illness that I'm, I'm not going to have a long retirement? You know, we want to make use of the money. We don't want it to be there to hand on, although some people do. Um, it's more about, for me, making sure you've worked hard, you earn it. Um, if you want to pass something on, great, but, um, you know. How much do you want in your KiwiSaver depends on the sort of lifestyle you want, and this is all part of the conversation for how much I should be putting in. So that's why you need to be looking at it on an annual basis. Is, is my KiwiSaver tracking to give me the mon money that I need? If the pension is likely to disappear on us and I'm at an age where I might need to be funding myself more, then what extra do I need to be setting aside? What other investments do I need? Is KiwiSaver the only way that I'm saving my retirement? Do I have investment property? Do I have businesses that are going to be producing passive income? Have I got shares or other assets that are going to provide for me in my, in my retirement as well? Or am I relying on my kids as the kids like to rely on parents for providing for them? I know it's, it's different within cultures, it's different within communities, it's different within households. Anybody that uh, in COVID switched from a growth fund to a conservative fund at the time of the COVID dip, they lost money. Anybody that switched from a conservative to a high growth fund during COVID made money. So we didn't know how quickly the recovery was going to be for COVID. It was, it's um, unprecedented times, you know, so as they said. <laughs> Okay, so understanding your risk profile. So when do you need the money out? Short term. And do you need all the money out or are you just needing the $100 a week? So if we're at turn 65 and we're starting to need that money to supplement ourselves, we might want to make sure that we're maintaining our capital, but we're only pulling out potentially a small amount. So we might want to leave some in balanced and a portion maybe even in growth. It depends on what your risk profile is and how much you need that money to be working for you and how comfortable you are with that money still being at risk and not being in, and being in a cons rather than being in a conservative. Are you comfortable with the level of your, your investment dropping by 5, 10, 15, 20%? Okay. How do you feel about risk versus return? Love a high, high return, but I actually don't like big drops. Okay. I don't like low returns, but I like the certainty of my money being there. 
where do I fit on the scale? Okay. How important is it to protect your asset and your the capital investment? So if I'm buying a house and I need the twenty thousand dollars that's in my KiwiSaver as my deposit, then the key thing there is I must make sure that the money is there when for my deposit. If my KiwiSaver drops and I've now only got $17,000 and I needed all $20,000 for my deposit, I'm $3,000 short for settling on my house. I'm in trouble. Okay, so these are all determined by your, your risk factors and when you need the money. So, why take an interest in your KiwiSaver? We've talked about having it as a deposit for our home. We've talked about maximising the uh, your retirement savings and providing you uh, an income to supplement the pension and to give you lifestyle choices. What we haven't talked about is the tax rate and how you're taxed. So KiwiSaver is taxed using your prescribed investor rate, otherwise known as the PIR rate. This is determined based on how much you are earning in wages and income, if you're self-employed, and how much you're earning from any other investments such as uh, any other groups of investments such as shares or pie funds or mutual funds, and where you might be getting dividends. Okay, Any interest that you're earning in your uh, bank accounts will be taxed as part of your personal income, so it's normal income tax, but anything over and above investment income is, uh, they look at a combination. There are three rates, 10.5%, 17.5% and 28% and it's easy enough to figure out where you fit in that category um, and most fund providers in your scheme you can see what, what scale you need to be on um, easily. What happens if you lose your job and you can't afford to be putting money into KiwiSaver at the moment? Well, you lose your job, they're not taking any money out of your wages, so you're immediately on, um, you're immediately suspended your KiwiSaver input. What if you uh, take a, um, uh, have an accident and you're still working, but you've racked up some health bills or some other bills and that you can't afford to be having the 3% deduction coming out of your wages. You can request a contribution holiday and this is a suspension from KiwiSaver for up to 12 months. You have to reapply if you want that suspension to continue. A contribution holiday will, um, while you're on a contribution holiday, that won't qualify for you part of the time towards um, belonging to KiwiSaver because you're not putting in the minimum 3% of your income. Okay. Hardship withdrawals, again, it's, uh, it's a difficult process to go through and we've talked a bit about that. Switching providers, we've also talked about. Switching funds, we've talked about. So there are risks involved with actually switching funds with switching providers, so choose carefully. Um, if you're nearing retirement, then um, you're making a decision and making sure you're in the right funds is really important and pulling out your money either as a lump sum or um, in monthly instalments is um, are your options. Pulling it out in monthly instalments is a better option because it allows your KiwiSaver to keep working for you. So that's 
that's what I've got to talk about on KiwiSaver, and I think I'm, I'm hoping I've answered a lot of your, your questions and that it's been, been useful for you. Thank you. You've been listening to Elise Vine, financial advisor from Building on Basics. Finance Made Easy is a podcast series about personal finance made with funding from the Ministry of Social Development. Podcasts are available on the Plains FM website, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you.